Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk Portland, Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. On the show this time, we're going to be speaking with the Alzheimer's Association of Oregon and Southwest Washington. And I'd like to welcome Sarah Kaufman, Public Policy Director, and Heidi Rowell, Program Director. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank, Thank you. So let's talk about the Alzheimer's Association. Tell me, when did this start? So the Alzheimer's Association was actually founded in 1980. So this year is our 40th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. And the Oregon and Southwest Washington chapter, Sarah, tell me about that. Sure. So we, the Alzheimer's Association, we are the leading voluntary health organization in Alzheimer's care support and research. And our vision is a world without Alzheimer's and all other dementia. And we really work on a, a national and local level to make sure that we're providing care and support for everyone affected by Alzheimer's disease and other dementia. So that people living with the disease and their family members, their caregivers, and we aim, we are proud that we are the largest nonprofit funder of Alzheimer's research, and we are committed to advancing vital research towards methods, treatments, and preventions to find a cure. Tell me the difference, Sarah, between Alzheimer's and dementia. This is a great question. It's probably one of the most common questions that we get, actually. Um, the best way to describe it is to, to say that dementia is sort of the umbrella term. So the most common cause of dementia happens to be Alzheimer's disease. In fact, about anywhere from 60 to 80% of people that have dementia have Alzheimer's dementia. Um, there's various different kinds of dementia. There's Alzheimer's dementia, there's Lewy body dementia, there's vascular dementia, which can be the result of a stroke. Um, there's frontotemporal dementia. So um, there, that's kind of that's the easiest way to think about it is dementia is sort of the umbrella term and, and um, Alzheimer's is the most common cause of um, dementia. Do we know uh, some of the reasons people get Alzheimer's? You know, there's, there can be a, a number of reasons. Right now, one of the um, age tends to be what, people, what science looks at as the, most, um, the, the biggest risk factor. So as you get older, um, over age 65, there tends to be a higher chance. Of having this, of having the disease, but there's lots, there's lots of other um, considerations in the research field on this topic. There's a family history in some cases. There's certain risk genes that you can have that might that might lead to a higher chance of developing the disease. And additionally, there's also a lot of research looking into um, modifiable uh, life or risk factors. 
So making sure that you are staying healthy by maintaining a healthy weight. That's good for the heart. It's good for the brain. So making sure you're taking care of heart health, um, social engagement, things like that. So there's, there's not a clear one answer to that question. There's a lot of different um, ways to look at what might increase your risk for getting this disease. I've spoken with the Alzheimer's Association in the past, and one thing that really struck out to me in past interviews I've done is that Alzheimer's and dementia are not a normal part of aging. Very, very true. It's, it's a disease. It's a disease that affects the brain, and it is not at all a normal part of aging. And that's, it's, it's a great rumor for us to make sure that we are, are busting that rumor wide open, or that myth wide open, it is not a normal part of aging. Can people get Alzheimer's and dementia? At, it seems to be mainly in older Americans and older people around the world, but mm-hmm. it's, it can happen in younger people too, right? Sure. Yeah. There's a number of people that have younger onset Alzheimer's disease, but it, it's a pretty small population. Um, it's mostly people that are age 65 and older that are living with the disease. Now, Alzheimer's, it says here, Alzheimer's disease is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. Um, share some statistics about that. Sure. I can share some statistics about that. Thank you, Heidi. So, yeah. So there is an estimated 5.8 million Americans age 65 and older who are living with Alzheimer's dementia. And 80% of those are age 75 or older. Right here in Oregon, we have more than 69,000 people age 65 and older living with Alzheimer's. And in Washington state, that number exceeds 120,000. So roughly one in 10 people age 65 and older has Alzheimer's dementia. And one of the other kind of striking facts is that almost two thirds of Americans with Alzheimer's are women. And as we know, there's health disparities among certain populations with many chronic diseases. Alzheimer's disease is no exception. So older African-Americans are about twice as likely to have Alzheimer's or other dementia as older white Americans. And Hispanics are about one and a half times as likely to have Alzheimer's or another type of dementia. So it's really important that we keep an eye on the fact that there are, there are health disparities with people with Alzheimer's disease. Now, Heidi, you said a little bit ago that, uh, um, that the Alzheimer's Association started 40 years ago. This is your 40th anniversary, so it started in 1980. So does that mean that Alzheimer's is a newly discovered disease, or has it been around forever and just the Alzheimer's Association was developed about 40 years ago? So Alzheimer's disease has been around for a very long time, um, and I'm going to forget the year that Alzheimer's was discovered. Maybe Sarah will remember for me. Um, <laughs> but it was discovered by Dr. Alois Alzheimer. And the very first patient that it was diagnosed in, um, her name was Auguste Dieter. And interestingly enough, Auguste had younger onset Alzheimer's. So for many, many years, uh, people didn't realize that older adults suffering from Alzheimer's were actually suffering from a disease because of the fact that the first person that it was discovered in was a younger onset person. So that's why Mm -hmm. for so many years, it was just like, well, you know, they're just getting older. That's normal. They're just more forgetful. Or you may hear the term senile. Um, People will often say that someone was going senile. So really when the Alzheimer's Association was founded, it was founded by Jerome Stone and a group of committed volunteers who wanted to bring to light the fact that this is not normal aging um, and to really commit themselves to both the science piece as well as the care and support piece that we're so dedicated to for taking care of people living with the disease and their caregivers. Mm-hmm. Let me ask too, how are there symptoms or signs to be looking for when 
for yourself and for others, I guess, when you're caring for a family member? Yeah, absolutely. So on our website, we have the 10 warning signs. So on ALZ.org, um, we can, you can look up the 10 warning signs of Alzheimer's. But the biggest, the big one is going to be memory loss that disrupts your everyday function. So it's not forgetting where you put your keys. We all do that or losing your phone 17 times a day. I know, you know, Sarah and I <laughs> joke about this all the time. We're constantly looking for things. <laughs> Um, it's, it's more that like you pick up the keys and you no longer know what the keys are for, or, you know, putting things away in very strange places and, um, having that suspicion that someone else put them there because you are unable to retrace your steps to be able to find those items. I would imagine for the person suffering, that is, that's got to be very frustrating. Absolutely. Um, especially in those early stages when something's going wrong, um, people become very frightened and very frustrated, and denial can be a very strong emotion during that time. Um, people will often try to cover up what's wrong or make excuses, and close family members will often do that too because nobody wants to think that um, they're starting to essentially it feels like they're losing their mind, and there's still this very huge stigma around it where people tend to think that it's something you know, something to be ashamed of, but it's not, it's a disease. You wouldn't be ashamed if you had cancer. Um, but yet we still see that big, that huge stigma around Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. Yeah, I would imagine it. And probably you just feel really lonely and kind of disoriented and not really knowing how to talk about it. What, what words can people use to help, help themselves express uh, what they're feeling? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, you know, it's very, it's a very isolating disease. Um, you know, I think that people can, can feel tremendously isolated. So I think everyone's words are going to be different that they would use to express that. But, you know, what you said, frustration, anger, um, people often express a lot of anger. Um, seeing mood changes is one of the 10 warning signs because a lot of anger and um, fear comes along with that and suspicion. Uh, Sarah, is there anything you'd like to add there? You know what? I think that's a, a good way. The, the frustration level is very high, and it is hard to start to, to start those. If you're worried about a loved one that is has symptoms of memory loss, it's always hard to start that conversation. Um, but our website, like Heidi said, is a really good resource to help broach some of those conversations and to get resources when you are worried about yourself and memory changes or someone that you care about in memory changes. We're talking today with Sarah Kaufman and Heidi Rowell with the Alzheimer's Association of Oregon and Southwest Washington. Now, Sarah, let me ask you, um, we're in the middle of a pandemic. COVID-19 is happening all around us. How, what effect has that had on your organization? Yeah, you know, these, these, are, these are tough times. These really are for everybody. Um, but we try to remind the folks that we work with, the caregivers and people living with dementia, that they're not alone in this fight. Um, I believe Heidi mentioned it, but we have a 24-7 helpline, and it is available around the clock, 365 days a year. So when people are really struggling during this pandemic, not being able to leave their home, they still have a resource. They have someone that they can call. They can call this helpline, and they can get free services, specialists, master's level commissions that can have confidential support and information to people. And that number, for anyone that's listening that might be interested, it's um, 800 272-3900. So, you know, even though people are having a difficult time, we want to make sure that they that they know we're here for them, that we're still a resource. And, and Heidi can talk a little bit more about this, but we have a number of free online educational webinars, um, 
phone um, video support groups, all sorts of different opportunities across Oregon and Southwest Washington. So while people are struggling with um, this pandemic and also living or with memory loss or, or have a loved one that they're living with, um, we still have resources for them. And Heidi, you might be able to provide more information about some of them. Sure, absolutely. So as Sarah mentioned, we're still here. Um, one of the big things that we have always done is we have a lot of community support. So we teach education classes and we hold in-person support groups. So clearly with COVID that had to change and it had to change very quickly. Um, so our team kind of became I wouldn't say we're experts. We're want to be experts on, on using Zoom at this point, um, but we're <laughs> getting we're all there. there. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, you know, the coolest thing about it was that our volunteers who teach a lot of our classes and facilitate a lot of our support groups and really work hand in hand with us, they jumped right in there with us and they learned how to use the technology and they taught via Zoom. Um, so we've dealt with Internet outages and power outages and any kind of tech glitch you could think of. Um, but our amazing volunteers have been wonderful just getting out there and helping us show people that they're truly not alone and we're still here to provide the care and support that they need. Isn't that amazing how we all had to become very adept at uh, all kinds of internet <laughs> things, <laughs> whether you want to do or not. Yeah, we're living right. in a virtual world right. now, but that's great that the Alzheimer's Association has so many things available online um, that people can really mm -hmm. access. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the Alzheimer's Association International Conference just happened last month, right? What kind of new research is being yeah. done out there? What, tell me what happened there. Sure, sure. So it, the Alzheimer's International Conference, or AAIC as we call it, um, it's an incredible event. It's the world's largest and most influential meeting dedicated to advancing dementia science. And it brings the best researchers across the globe together to share research. Um, and this year, for understandable reasons, it was moved to a virtual format. It was originally supposed to be in Amsterdam, but this year it moved to a virtual format. And people could go online and watch a variety of different sessions, poster sessions, recorded um, presentations, live presentations. It was a pretty incredible experience. And there were about 33,000 33, registered attendees from 160 countries around the globe that, that attended this year. Um, I'm happy to share a little bit about, there was a lot of exciting news and research that came out of AEIC this year. I'm happy to share some highlights of some of those if you'd like. Oh, please do, yeah. Okay. Well, um, one of the big topics that, that hit the news um, that I think a lot of my friends and family actually asked me about, too, was there was some research that came out around vaccines. And some of the latest research from AEIC 2020 suggested that the flu and the pneumonia vaccine, especially multiple vaccinations over time, could be associated with a lower risk of Alzheimer's and later life. And of course, it's a little too early to tell if just simply getting vaccinated for flu and pneumonia on its own will impact Alzheimer's, but it's possible that there's other things to consider more research is needed. Um, and it's also possible that people that are getting vaccinated also might take care of their health in other ways. And these things could add up to a lower risk of Alzheimer's and other types of dementia. But again, more research is needed. Um, there's a lot of excitement around the idea of a blood test as well, too, or continued excitement is probably a better way to say. Um, in the last two or three AAICs, being able to diagnose um, Alzheimer's disease through a simple blood test has been a big topic of conversation. And this year was no different, but it did focus on a different protein. Um, that's one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. It's called tau. And um, this, the research that came out this year 
said that this form of tau and blood distinguishes a person who has um, the plaques and tangles similar to those are the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease is able to this, um, show these changes with 89% um, accuracy. So that's an incredibly exciting study that they highlighted. And if these results of this study can be replicated and verified, this would be one of the first times that the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease with a blood, with a blood test could be considered confirmatory, meaning you don't need to have an autopsy or, or an amyloid or a tau PET scan. So that was really exciting news. This made the New York Times and newspapers all across the globe this, this exciting research. Well, it sounds like some real great research is being done. That's fantastic. Was there a, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you with your saying more about research? Yeah, well, if there's, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but there's a continuing a lot of research on the importance of those modifiable risk factors. You, you asked a question earlier about, you know, the risk of getting this disease. And as a lot of research came out of, I, of AAIC that, that really showed us that the more we study Alzheimer's disease, the more evidence emerges of our factors all across our lifespan that can contribute to our risk for Alzheimer's and other dementia over time, especially those heart health risks, like the high blood pressure, diabetes, being overweight or obese. And there's some research that's showing even having these heart, these, um, heart health risks as early as adolescence can influence our um, late-in-life memory and cognition. So that was some, uh, some continuing information to come out about those risk factors that exist for this disease. Fascinating. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How is the Alzheimer's Association supported? Well, I think that's a great question. Good timing for right now. One of the things that we that we do to help um, support our cause and to fundraise is the Alzheimer's Association Walk to End Alzheimer's Disease. And, you know, that's coming up very soon. We're, we're headed into walk season. And even though it's going to look a little different this year than it has in previous years, by participating in the Alzheimer's Association Walk to End Alzheimer's is the way that you can support our cause. Um, I would encourage people to get online and learn more about it at um, ALD.org backslash walk. So the walk is happening this year? Absolutely. How is, Absolutely. It, how is it different than years past? Sure. So as you can imagine, we can't gather in the big groups that we used to have, like in downtown Portland or in Salem or in Vancouver. But people are still walking. They're walking in their small towns. They're walking in downtown. And we're encouraging people to log on to what we're calling our walk main stage. It's main walk pages where you register your team. And it's going to be an interactive online experience on, on, on each walk day. You can live stream the opening session or the opening ceremonies, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, we'll have all sorts of different ceremonies that people can participate online. And another thing people can do is they can download the Walk to End Alzheimer's mobile app. And as they participate in the walk, the app will track your steps. You can hear messages of support from other walkers, and you can share your experience walking with folks around the country. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, just a little bit different than it has been in years past. But you're still doing it. That's great. <laughs> yes, we're, we're still doing it. We will miss yeah. that big sea of purple that just is all over Portland on the <laughs> on walk day because that's that's quite a sight. Yeah. How many people yeah. participate? Well, we'll just how many people participate in the walk usually, and how many are you expecting this year? Well, I think that's a good question, considering this will be a virtual year. I think we have the potential to bring thousands across the state. Um, Heidi, you might know the number. I, I don't know the full number, but I know it's into the thousands every year. People, like you said, mobs of purple people, passionate about this cause, walking in their local communities. Um, 
the Walk in Portland on the 22nd of August. There's an upcoming Vancouver August 29th walk, and there's a Salem walk on October 10th. So a lot of opportunities still to be walking in your communities and showing that purple pride. Yes, and the Portland walk uh, typically has upwards of 3,000 people, um, probably more than that, and then, you know, varying sizes across the state, but Portland is definitely the largest of our seven that we have across our chapter territory. How much money do you raise every year doing the walk? Well, we're really proud that... Go ahead, Heidi. Go ahead. (laughs) Sorry, Sarah. Um, So last year, actually, we raised over a million dollars across all seven of our walks um, in our chapter territory. So we are really excited about that. And that was our second um, million dollar year in a row that we've had for our chapter. Wow. Congratulations. A million dollars. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty great. And how is that money used? So the money from Walk 10 Alzheimer's is used to go toward um, research and care and support. So 77% of the dollars raised are going to go toward our um, research, care and support, and our advocacy efforts as well. Um, So those are our mission-related activities that are fueled by that. If some of our listeners are wanting to help out the Alzheimer's Association but can't get involved in the walk this year for, for whatever reason, how else can they help out? So there's a lot of great ways that people can help out. Um, I mentioned earlier how excited we were that our volunteers jumped in and helped us with our programs and services. Um, We couldn't do everything that we do without volunteers. Um, Our staff is a small but mighty force, um, but we rely heavily on on our Purple Army, as we like to call our volunteers. So we've got a variety of volunteer opportunities available, anything from education presenters, support group facilitators. We have advocacy-related volunteers. And, um, of course, when we get back to having events, we have event-related opportunities. So if anybody is interested, you can visit our website at alz.org slash O-R-S-W-W-A to learn more about our opportunities. And then we always urge community members to spread the word about our free programs and services. So almost everyone seems to know someone who was touched by Alzheimer's in one way or another, or their family has been personally touched by Alzheimer's. So if you know someone that is struggling, let them know about the Alzheimer's Association Tell them we have the 24-7 helpline. Pass on that number, 800-272-3900. Tell them to go to ALZ.org. Those are the big things. And then lastly, if you can't walk with us, um, you can definitely just make a donation. So you can go online to ALZ.org slash O-R-S-W-W-A, and you can just make a direct donation to um, the chapter, or you can make a donation to someone you know who's walking to end Alzheimer's. Yeah, I'm looking at the website right now, and it's a pretty big, handsome donate button right there. Yeah. It's not in purple, though. It's in kind of a teal color, kind of a green. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We make sure it stands out. <laughs> well, I, have one, right. <laughs> I have one more question for the both of you, and that is Alzheimer's Association is a, a nonprofit organization. And how has COVID-19 affected your ability to operate as a nonprofit? So I think that, you know, all nonprofits have have had some impact from COVID-19, all businesses, everyone has had some, I don't know anybody who hasn't been impacted by this. So just like any other organization, um, it's it's impacted our ability to fundraise. Um, You know, we we talked about we can't have the walk in person. Um, That's definitely made it more challenging for us. 
Um, not being able to be face-to-face with our constituents has certainly made it more challenging. And, of course, the fact that people just, you know, many people have less to give and there's some uncertainty about the future. So any of those things are going to impact Mm -hmm. an organization such as ours. And um, Sarah, I think, can talk a little bit more about our policy um, asks and how that's impacted Mm -hmm. what we do on a public policy level. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think everyone knows that this, um, that COVID-19 has really affected individuals living in long-term care communities. And as a result, some of the policy recommendations that we put forth are really focused on this effort. Um, As we watch this pandemic continue to create challenges for people living in long-term care, we have really um, developed some policy recommendations that we're sharing with our state and local lawmakers here in Oregon and also our federal officials. These policy recommendations focus around ensuring that we have adequate testing, that we are ensuring that all cases at nursing homes and facility communities are reported, um, and that when the hotspot occurs or a search happens, what what our state is going to do to make sure to protect individuals and staff living um, in long-term care communities, and then also making sure that we're providing support um, how are we ensuring that these communities, these uh, living communities, nursing homes, have, have needed access to PPE, to testing equipment, to, to training? And so we're really working hard to make sure that these long-term care policy recommendations are being implemented in our state. Adapting in a new world, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, keep up the good work. You guys are doing a great job. <laughs> and thank you so much for well, being on the show you. today. Well, thank you. We really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much for helping us get the word out. We always appreciate you inviting us to come on your show and being able to to share about the Alzheimer's Association with your listeners. We were talking with Sarah Kaufman, Public Policy Director, and Heidi Rowell, Program Director with the Alzheimer's Association of Oregon and Southwest Washington. Let's Talk Portland is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program. 